I really feel like what's going to happen tonight is just another um, level of breakthrough. I don't know if any of you have heard what's been happening in San Diego with the revival that's been breaking out out there and kind of, I feel like there's little pockets of that all over the place where there's just this fire is starting. And so as I was preparing for this, there were so many things I felt like we could, you know, so many different ways we could go. And I was like, God, how do we, how, how do we not just have a place that hosts revival, but how do we maintain that? How do we become a people that this isn't something that just happens for a month or even a year, but is literally our lifestyle and changes our culture? How does that happen? Like, what keeps us in there for the long haul? How do we maintain that fire? And not just maintain it, but make it thrive and spread and burn to our city and our nation and the world. Like, how does that happen? And I know that we're a culture that's set on our identity, and we that's basically the foundation and starting place to everything. And uh, one of the things I felt like was a huge key to that is how we manage our identity and how we just host different aspects of that. And so I feel like, especially in this place, a lot of us, and not that we've all done this perfectly by any means, but a lot of us have a real understanding of what it's like to be a child of God. And that is really, really huge in our hearts. And I mean, we sing that in all of our songs. I feel like that's been something the church in general has been going after for a long time is really understanding just what it means to be a child, a son or a daughter, a true son or daughter of God and walk in that identity when I was praying about this, I felt like another area that maybe we haven't talked about too much, but is super, super key. And I know for me, one of probably the biggest struggles going through my life was my um, identity and not comparing to others. And that has been huge because I think even as a child, I mean, I have two little girls <laughs> and they are amazing and they're so beautiful and unique in their own way. But I'll tell you one thing. If I give them the same exact juice box, they want what the other one has. They are not satisfied with what they have. I don't care if it's the same exact thing. It is not the one they want because for some reason, whatever her sister has is better than what she has. <laughs> so even as children, we have this tendency to compare ourselves to our siblings. I mean, that's just, you see that from very young, especially if you're a parent, you know that, you know, the their cake is always bigger. You know, why did they get purple and I got blue? Purple is better. Well, you liked purple yesterday, you know? So it's it's that thing where you're going, okay, so this comparison games happens even within family. So I feel like as children of God, we have, you know, there's, like I said, we're, none of us have arrived to that completely, but I feel like there's a really good grasp on that concept. But yet there's still a lot of comparison that happens even within our family. And I feel that that's true for us as a church as a whole. So tonight I want to talk about comparison, and I was thinking about that, and God uh, just, I saw this, well, I couldn't share it today, but there's this funny clip of The Office. Who watches The Office here? Anybody? Okay. Okay, so a couple of people. So there's these two characters in this TV show called The Office, and one is named Dwight, and he's kind of, he's kind of the jerk of the bunch, and just really um, kiss up to the boss, and very unique individual. And then there's Jim, who everybody loves, and everybody, I'm sure, thinks that they can relate to Jim, and when they're in their office, that's who they are, is their Jim, because Jim is amazing. 
So, and Jim's a prankster. So one day Jim comes in and he uh, is dressed up just like Dwight, like down to the T and his mannerisms and everything. He's just imitating Dwight to a T. And this completely bugs, you know, Dwight and he gets very offended. And it's what the line in there is. He says, identity theft is not a joke. It hurts families. (laughs) And so I just thought that was hilarious. And, you know, Jim continues on with his charade. It's so great. And I thought, man, that is awesome. And I thought, you know what? Identity theft is not a joke. Has anyone in here ever had identity theft happen to them? Anybody? Okay, so a couple. So you know that when that happens, how violated you feel. And there really is no winning parties in identity theft because if you are the victim that you feel violated, you feel used and abused, um, you can get stolen from and lose you know, money or different things like that, your credit score, I mean, it can really mess you up. And then if you're the one who is actually the theft, you're going to get caught and you're going to have consequences and um, eventually those actions are going to catch up for you. And so it's a lose-lose in all situations. And uh, I really feel that comparison is our identity theft. When we compare ourselves to those around us, we usually don't think of it as that. Usually it's a thought here or there, we have this, you know, fleeting thought of, man, I wish, you know, I was more like them for whatever reason, or I wish I had their house. I, you know, how come they get blessed and I'm still struggling? You know, what's, what's going on with that? How come they're getting married? How come they're having kids? How come, you know, their kids are so perfect? And there's just so many different areas and facets that we tend to compare ourselves. And I think a lot of us don't even realize we're doing it when it happens. But what it does is it leaves you feeling empty and dissatisfied with your life, and it can really actually ruin your self-esteem and take away your identity. Um, or what we do is we compare ourselves that to somebody that we think is less than us to make us feel better. Usually that happens after we've compared ourselves to somebody who is better than us. So we go, well, let me look for someone who's in a worse situation than I am and make myself feel good about it. And then you're a jerk, so... <laughs> The crazy thing about this, though, is that when we allow comparison to still our own unique identity, what we try to do is we try to take on the someone else's unique identity, and it doesn't belong to us. So it's literally like we're trying to put on someone else's skin, and we will not fit into it because it's not us in any way, shape, or form. And so what we're trying to do is say, okay, well, their dreams, their goals that they have for their life, their successes, and... We want all that to be ours. And what we're not seeing is, you know, their failures, their insecurities, their fears that they've walked through in their life. We don't want that part. We want to see the highlight reel, which is usually what the only thing we see, especially like if you're huge on social media. I don't know if any of you are. Like, I'm crazy about it, which can be, you know, I I do that for the church. So I say it's my job. Like, that's my excuse. But, you know, that's why they hired me because I did it before that. So... But, you know, that can really, in our media today, I mean, there's, we see the highlight reels of so many people. And I love, I follow a lot of moms and families on Instagram, and I love it when you get a real post of a mom who said, you know, I had a crazy bad day today, and this is, like, what's going on. This is, like, real life that you don't get to see normally. And I love that when they're just being honest, um, because a lot of times we tend to just see the good. So Jack Canfield, who I really don't know who he is, but he said a quote that I thought was awesome. So if you guys know who he is, great. Um, that's what the internet's for. You know, I, should, I should have Googled him beforehand, so I could have seemed smart. 
I generally find that comparison is the fast track to unhappiness. No one ever compares themselves to someone else and comes out even. Nine times out of ten, we compare ourselves to people who are somehow better than us and end up feeling more inadequate. So as I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, God, well, where is that in the Bible? And I was you know, thinking about a couple of uh, stories like... Moses and Gideon, where they felt really inadequate and God called them out, but there wasn't really, they weren't really comparing themselves to anybody. They just didn't feel like they were up for the job. And then uh, God brought me to the disciples, (laughs) right? (laughs) I love those guys. They give me so much hope. Um, John and Peter, which are great, because you, you know, John, he, you wrote the book of John and he starts out with, I am John, the beloved one. And he has no qualms about declaring how much Jesus loves him and loves him more than anybody else. (laughs) So that's awesome. And then, you know, you have Peter who is just this fireball and always puts his foot in his mouth, but yet has so much depth and understanding and revelation and that Jesus really commends him. He was like the first one to say that he was the Christ and then he was also the one that Jesus called the devil. So he was just you know, a firecracker of the group. And so you have these two completely different personalities. And I was reading, and in John 21, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn there or your Bible apps. We're going to go to John 21:15, And I'm reading it in the message, so it may sound a little different, so you may just want to listen if it throws you off. Um, But this is after Peter has denied Christ three times, and he's really feeling low. You know, his his best friend, his savior, not only died a horrific death, but he feels like he completely failed him. Because in his moment of need, Peter basically turned his back on him. And that's heavy duty. Like, that is a serious situation. And I know that we've all you know, had experiences of that within our life where we felt that way. But Peter was literally walking and breathing in Jesus every day and did that. So this isn't something that was lightly done. I think that it could be easily like, oh, but, you know, Jesus forgave him. But what Peter went through during that time between Jesus rising from the dead and coming back to him, that's that's a huge thing. So he was really feeling it. So we're at, um, we're at here where Jesus is having breakfast with them and all the disciples, you know, are there and, and Simon Peter's there and I'm sure Simon Peter is just kicking himself. And, uh, in verse 15, it says, after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master. You know, I love you. Jesus said, or, you know, I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you, Jesus said. Shepherd my sheep. Then he said it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he had asked him a third time. Do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I'm telling you the truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he commanded, follow me. In verse 20, it said, um, turning his head, Peter noticed the disciple Jesus loved, following right behind him. 
When Peter noticed him, he asked Jesus, Master, what's going to happen to him? Jesus said, If I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? You follow me. That is how the rumor got out among the brothers that this disciple wouldn't die. But this is not what Jesus said. He simply said, If I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? <clears throat> so, this this is a huge, huge thing for Peter. And... Uh, Oftentimes, you know, there's a couple ways that can comparison can come in. And uh, one of the ways is through times of failure. And right here, Peter was the ultimate low. Just ultimate low. And in my life, I've experienced several, you know, different times like that. And I grew up in a Christian home, and I got into modeling, actually, at a very young age. So about 10, I started modeling and was doing different things like that. And that kind of business is is very taxing on your self-esteem and you walk in and you're in audition with all these other girls and immediately you're comparing yourself. So to start that at 10 years old is kind of a big deal. And it was my choice. I really bugged my parents. I wanted to do it. So um, they let me and, you know, I didn't know any better. And, you know, after a few years of that, I did it until I was about 19. And uh, the more you're in that environment, eh, the harder it is to not compare yourself. And so that was my business. That was my job. I walked in and thought, okay, who in here do I have to beat in order to get this job? And uh, so for a long time, I really struggled with my appearance and how I looked. I felt like I wasn't white enough, blonde enough, skinny enough, and, you know, any other exotic looking. I mean, all these different things. My eyes weren't blue, like everything you could possibly think of. And, um, as I was, you know, skinny enough, I had many people tell me, oh, you need to lose 10 pounds, you need to, you know, this. And so I ended up having a short period of where I struggled with eating disorders because of that. And so you have all these things that, you know, come after you. And the reason why is oftentimes is because I'd walk into the auditions and I'd fail them. And they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, you're not this, blah, blah, blah. And so I'd be like, oh, man, so I need to go fix that or become that person so I could get that. And so that was an easy way for it to come in. And throughout your life, there's, I feel like there's different points where you can compare yourself and you conquer this. This isn't something that just you conquer once and for all. There's going to be different areas where it's going to try to sneak in. And so once I felt like I figured out my identity, I became, you know, I loved myself for who I was and realized, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and all that good stuff and conquered that area, something else came up. You know, and then I had, um, you know, I've always been a worshiper and desire to sing and I went, you know, through this and at the church that I was attending at the time, um, I was singing on the worship team and, and I messed up a couple times and something happened and um, my worship pastor said, you know, you're never going to be a worship leader. And so that was immediate failure. So then from that point on, I was like, oh, well, I'm now comparing myself to every single worship leader out there, whoever sings. My voice isn't this, my voice isn't that. And so now it's a new thing. And then you become, you know, a wife or a mom. And, oh, my gosh, she homeschools five kids and has a clean car and house. And how does she do it? I have two, and I am ready to shoot myself, you know? So it's like all of a sudden these things start changing. And so you feel like you win a battle in this area, and then you just kind of move to another area. And so I was like, God, how does the cycle stop? How do I stop doing this in every area of my life? What is the key to that? Like, first, I need to figure out, how is this getting in? How, how is this starting? And so here, um, Peter was in a very sensitive place, and he had just failed. He denied Jesus. He, I'm sure he felt horrible. And, you know, Judas also denied Jesus, and he didn't handle that well, you know. And I'm, I, 
I bet that if he would have had a repentant heart and came back to Jesus like Peter did, there would have been redemption for him. But he did it. And Peter did, thank God. And uh, he, he came back, and so now Jesus was here. <laughs> God's so good. So Peter, I'm sure, is like kicking himself for this. And then instead of Jesus just being like, Peter, it's all good. Peter's like, do you love me? I mean, Jesus goes, do you love me? You're like, oh, why are you saying that? You know, like that hurts. Of course, I love you. And rather than Jesus really just embracing him and not even asking him questions, Jesus questions his love for him. And that would be hard. That would be really hard. So do you think that Jesus didn't know if Peter loved him? You think Jesus was questioning Peter's love? No, he wasn't. Jesus was having Peter declare his love for him so Peter could realize it. It wasn't for Jesus to realize it. Jesus already knew, and Peter's words were absolutely right. You already know God. But it was so Peter can realize it, and I bet it was so Peter could forgive himself. And I feel like that's often our hardest, we're the hardest on ourselves. So after he asked this, and there's just this moment of self-reflection, <laughs> Peter doesn't take that moment to self-reflect. <laughs> Peter immediately goes, oh, John's really close to him. So you just said, I'm going to die like this. How is he going to die? Yeah. Like, why would that be the first thing you ask anyways, right? Like, how is he going to die, God? You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> So I felt like, okay, that was a moment where Peter could have just let that sink in and had this moment with Jesus and was like, and all of a sudden it was like that moment of failure hit and Peter was immediately like, couldn't handle that. And he, what did he do? It says he turned away and looked at John. The second thing that God told me was that comparison can enter when our gaze is not set on Jesus. So I have two little girls. And uh, I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And my one-year-old just started learning how to walk, which is super fun because I have two little girls that walk and don't listen to me. Um, I told Rob that I'm going to get leashes for them, and I am not joking. I am that parent because I can't handle it. <laughs> it's either that or they run into a car. So it's, you know. Um, so we do this thing with Tennessee because she wants to run around. And so Rob and I will play follow the leader and we've all played that as kids. And so we have, you know, Tennessee loves to sing. So anything that we want her to do, if we put it in song, she somehow does it. Uh, so we're, you know, trying to get her to go inside the house or just stay on the sidewalk. And so we go, Oh, Tennessee, follow the leader. And she gets super excited and she starts singing the song and follow me, the leader, leader, you know, starts and she goes, March, 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 March. And it works for like a second until she sees a butterfly or a cat and then she's like, yeah, oh, you know, and then like runs off and, uh, you know, she just runs off the course and runs into danger or the car or something. Um, and so I was thinking about that and that's exactly like us. We do that, right? We are going, okay, Jesus, we're following you. We're following you. We're following you oh, look over there. Oh, look what that guy's doing. Oh, look at this. And it could just be, oh, look at this circumstance in my life. Or, oh my gosh, you know, look, this, this disease came up in my family or this is happening. There's a financial crisis and all of a sudden our gaze shifts. And then in that shift, 
the enemy can come in with lies. And all of a sudden, we're looking at the problem. And then we start seeing others who have conquered that problem. And we start questioning God. Why am I having this problem if this person hasn't? And so it's that immediate game of comparison. Um, The interaction between Jesus and Peter during this conversation is a lot like the interaction of Jesus and Peter when Peter stepped out of the boat to walk on the water. It was one of the greatest moments of Peter's life where he was like, Jesus, if that's you, call me to you. And Peter stepped out and he began walking on water with Jesus. And that is brave. But Peter had that issue of shifting his gaze. And the Bible says that when he began to look at the waves, he began sinking. And that's the same thing that he did before. It was that moment of as soon as he shifted his gaze from Jesus, that's when he began sinking. That's when comparison came in. He lost sight of Jesus. And maybe, maybe that's the reason why he denied Christ in the first place. Maybe he shifted his gaze. So Charles Swindle, he said it like this. He said, Peter must have thought, who am I compared to Mr. Faithfulness? But Jesus clarified the issue. John was responsible for John. Peter was responsible for Peter. And each had only one command, to follow me. We are only responsible for answering the call on our life to follow him. You don't look to what the person is doing next to you. You just follow Jesus. If you begin following someone else's road, you won't fulfill your destiny. Because that road is not to be traveled by you. That's not where you're going. You'll end up feeling unfulfilled, inadequate, not worthy, because you're trying to fit into a place that isn't made for you. But when you begin to walk down the road that God has called you to, that is where you'll walk into your destiny and feel fulfilled because that is where you belong. Does that mean it will be easy? No. But it means that God's going to give you the tools to conquer every single thing within that road because that is your road that you're called to. In Proverbs 4.20, it says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left and keep your foot from evil. So here, that is just a perfect example of what it looks like to keep your eyes directly ahead of you, not looking to the right or to the left and keeping to your own path. So how do you actually walk this out in your life? How 
do you say, okay, I won't compare myself to anyone anymore. I'm done. <laughs> I wish it was so easy, right? To just be like, all right, my eyes will always stay on Jesus. I will never sit and think about my failure for too long. I will just always look at him and everything's going to be good. <clears throat> now, the first part, you know, to keeping your eyes set on Jesus is what he has called you to, but there's more to it than that. Um, the second part, which I really feel is really huge, and like I had said earlier, where Jesus was having Peter declare who he was and forgiving himself. And the second part is love yourself. And that is so hard for a lot of us to do, to really love ourselves. In Leviticus 19.17, it says, Don't secretly hate your neighbor. If you have something against him, get it out into the open. Otherwise, you're an accomplice in his guilt. Don't seek revenge or carry a grudge against any of your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. It's like a little letter to you. I am God. I like how it starts out here saying, don't secretly hate your neighbor. Because what do you do when you compare? You kind of hate them. You know, you hate why, like, why do they get everything good? Why is it so easy for them? Da, 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 da. You get envious. Is envy a fruit of love? No, it isn't. So how can you love your neighbor when you're secretly hating them? You can't. You really can't. Many times in the New Testament, you hear Jesus say this to his followers, to love their neighbor as themselves. And the first thing is, you know, you have to deal with that grudge or jealousy of being envious. But you have to deal with loving yourself first, because a lot of times the reason why we're being so envious is because we don't see any potential or worth within ourselves. And so then it's easy for us to envy somebody else because we are not seeing that within ourselves. And I have got some great news for you guys. God doesn't make junk. Right? He created you, and he is crazy in love with you. Like, the amount of love he has for you is so insane, and if you actually knew that... <laughs> I love that, Ron. <laughs> you couldn't stand up. You couldn't. I love my girls so much. And if anybody ever hurt them, I would literally kill somebody. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus said the same thing, and he did. He killed his son. He killed his son for you because he was so crazy in love with you. Because it pleased the father to bring chastisement on his son for your sake. Like, just let that sink in. Why would he do that if you're not worth it? Why would he do that if you are not enough? When you compare yourself to anyone else, you're basically telling God that he failed with you. And that is not true. The Bible says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, and that includes every single person. Don't devalue God's loves toward you. Don't take that away from him. Don't minimize it.
Comparison loves to feed off of lies. And this literally can be a whole nother teaching in itself. Cause. But a good place to start believing and to start loving yourself is by displacing the lies that you have been believing. Because that's where the hate from ourself comes from. Is that we're believing lies of past failures. We're believing lies of words spoken against us. We're believing lies of mistakes that we've made or that mistakes have been made towards us. And so we're devaluing ourselves because we believe that. So how do you really, how do you shift that mindset? And we all know the answer here and that's declaring the truth of who you are over yourself. And this was huge in my life. I um, was blessed enough to have an amazing mentor in my life come alongside when I was going through probably one of the hardest times. And uh, she, you know, I'd never really heard what we preach here, and I was coming from a very legalistic background, and um, I didn't like it, and so I was doing the complete opposite. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And she kind of pulled me in, and she read my mail and handed me this book, and it was basically just a bunch of scriptures, but um, it was put in first person, and it was for all different topics in my life, and fear and you know everything and so I just began every day declaring those truths over me and in the beginning I didn't believe them and in the beginning it was really hard for me to get through some of them but I didn't stop I kept doing it and I wish I could say that in two days I was like yeah I'm awesome it wasn't it was like a good three or four years of doing this on a daily basis and, you know, getting sozo in the middle of that and doing all, getting all this junk out of me. And uh, it took time to transform my thinking. And, and it's, I wish I could say that I've arrived completely, but I haven't. And I know that, you know, when, when Jesus comes and we are all glory and everything like that, it's going to be awesome. But until then, it is something. But now I have tools to fight that. And so I don't sit there. Um, and so as soon as that thought comes in, I know, oh, this is, this is going to go down. And, you know, I have my days when I don't sleep and I'm super tired and my kids are getting on my nerves and all of a sudden that thought comes in and I sit there for a little while. So I'll be honest with you, but I don't stay there. And, um, that's huge. Declaring the truth over your life is huge. The last thing here that I want to share with you is love your neighbor. Okay. So we've learned how to love ourselves. We've displaced lies of the enemy. We're declaring truths. We're transforming our thinking. So now we have to love our neighbor. So comparison um, likes us not to do that. So one of the biggest weapons against it is to lavish the person that you're comparing with so much love and joy that you have no room for that envy in there. So when you begin to see your friends or your families that you're having these thoughts towards uh, through the eyes of Jesus and you see them as that child of God through Jesus's eyes, you're not going to be able to continue that comparing game. Instead, when you see something amazing happen in their life, you're going to want to rejoice with them. Because you know that they've been believing for breakthrough and they finally got it. And that doesn't lessen your breakthrough. But you get to rejoice with them because you love them and you care about them. And you want to see that good happen in their life. 
In Romans 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. When your heart is full of the love of Christ and you're loving your neighbor as, as you love yourself, so don't forget that piece, you love yourself, then it's easy to not compare because you're not, you're not walking down the road, you're not trying to, but you're loving them and you're rejoicing with them. And then at the same time, when they do go through those times of struggles, you're mourning with them, you're grieving with them, you're not condemning them or looking down on them because you think that you've arrived at the place of their weakness, but you're bonded with them and you love them. So, comparison is an identity theft that likes to victimize us when we are weak from a past failure or when we are distracted. So to regain our identity, we keep our eyes on Jesus and the plan he has for our life. We love ourselves by displacing lies and we return our love to our neighbors and we rejoice with them. Right now, I want to do a declaration with you guys. So if you guys want to stand up, and I really uh, feel like we have a couple minutes, so I'm going to... So I want you guys to declare this over you, and then uh, we're just going to believe that Today is going to be a huge, huge breakthrough, and I pray that every single tool that's been given in your belt to combat this, that in the moment of these times, that you will actually remember this, and it will come to your remembrance, and you'll walk this out. So go ahead and uh, say with me, I am a bold, fearless lover of Jesus. I am loved. I am beautiful. I am wonderfully made. God did not make a mistake when he made me. He did not make me one way to use me another way. I set my gaze upon him. And I stand secure in my identity. I am a follower of Christ and no one else. I do not look to the right or to the left. I have locked eyes with my lover and he sees me and I see me as he sees me. I rejoice with my friends who have been blessed and I cry with those who are struggling. I see every person through the eyes of Jesus and I trust that Jesus knows where I am going and I trust his guidance so Jesus oh you are so good God you are such a good father God and I release right now just a spirit of breakthrough of any lies of any anything that has come against them to say that they are not worthy to say that they are not loved to take away their identity. I just pray for a restoration of dreams and goals and vision for their life. And I pray that you would provide clarity to the path ahead of them. And no longer will they need to look to the right or to the left, but 
they set their eyes upon you. And I just speak to clarity of mind right now that they will be able to see you and see as you do. God, we release that spirit of breakthrough, God, of any confusion. talking about Peter failed. Do you know Jesus prophesied to him and said, Peter, you're going to fail me. You have a willing spirit, but you have weak flesh. But here's the thing I want to prophesy to you. When you do fail, get up and strengthen your brother. Don't let it lead to failing faith. And Peter was so stubborn, you know, because Peter built his whole relationship with God on his commitment to God. And he said, I'll never fail. All these other guys, they're weak. They always fail. I never will. And he had to have that broken in him because he'd never be a safe leader in the body of Christ. One, if you failed, he just discounted you. And secondly, if he failed, he'd be crushed and devastated, which is exactly what happened. And here's the thing what happened was somebody approached him and a little kid and said, weren't you with Jesus? And you know what? He, he said he, he cursed. You know what he actually did? He, that word curse is so strong that he said, if I knew that man, may I actually be cursed and spend the rest of my life in hell. It was that strong. That's how devastated he was in his failure. And, the, and Jesus came to him and restored him. I want you to know something else. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the two people that God sent to Jesus just before he went to the cross to give him hope and to give him that last push were two of the biggest failures in the Old Testament. Moses, who struck the rock and couldn't go in the promised land. And Elijah, who was told to do three things and he only fulfilled one. He failed, two of the biggest failures, and God chose those two. So don't tell me that your failure discounts you. Don't tell me that. So put your hand on your head. Lord, right now, we fail. Yeah, we fail. But the beauty is, is that you step into us in failure and you draw us close. And like Eilina said, we get our eyes off our circumstances and we get them right back on you. And we discover who we truly, truly are. The beloved son and daughter 
of a father whose heart is ravished over us. Failure doesn't take us out. I take that weapon away from the enemy right now in Jesus' name. Failure just causes us to step in closer to the Lord, just like the woman caught in adultery. Just step in closer. Thank you, Lord. We know who we are. We're going to live in our truest identity. We're going to keep our eyes on you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thanks, Eileen. Let's give her a hand. Thank you. So good. So good.